Reading now from Acts 2. Now when they heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who, were welcomed, who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a day. 3,000 persons added. Saving themselves from a corrupt generation. Willfully, joyfully, joining the kingdom of heaven. What's your image of the kingdom of heaven? Fluffy clouds and harps. Beautiful fairways. 72 degrees. No bugs. Endless beaches. Toned bodies. No harmful UV rays. We sell heaven short. As a society, as a people of faith, when I hear people talk about the kingdom of heaven, what the heaven they imagine, it either sounds like a place I wouldn't want to be for more than ten minutes, or a place that's so self-centered that no one else would want to be around them for ten minutes. I was talking with a thoughtful child the other day, and he wanted to know where we got this crazy idea of clouds and harps. Even at a young age, he could see how silly that was be. Could Jesus really have lived and, and, and died and been raised so we could go play harps on clouds? Not that there's anything wrong with harps. Your church, United Methodist Church, asks people who feel like they're called into ordained ministry some questions, and among those they ask, what is your understanding of the kingdom of God? What is your understanding of the resurrection? What is your understanding of eternal life? And we get some interesting responses. But thank God none I've ever read has talked about clouds and harps. Some have come close. The good ones, the ones like Josh, don't limit their talk of the kingdom of God and resurrection and eternal life to what happens after we die. They don't just talk about those in terms of after we die. The truth is that would be an incomplete response. We don't know much about what life is actually like after we die. The scriptures aren't exactly forthcoming about that. We get the sense that we will be overjoyed with whatever it is, thanks to Jesus. And 
And that's about it. So good candidates, Josh-like candidates, point out that the kingdom of God and resurrection and eternal life isn't just about when we die, it's about now. Eternal life begins when life and faith in Jesus begins. The promise and hope of the resurrection impacts our lives now. The kingdom of God, though not fully present, is at least partially present. There are glimpses of it every day. I don't know what the kingdom of heaven will look like on the other side of death. But here's a glimpse of it on this side. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The people in Acts were escaping the corrupt generation and And finding themselves holding all things in common, sharing as any had need. They were studying the faith together. They were praying together. They were worshiping together. They were eating together. And I don't just mean Holy Communion. I mean meals. They were sharing meals together. Ranking right up there with worship and Bible study and prayer. Or meals. One of the gifts of mission trips, and really trips of any kind, is that you get to spend time together in meals. You end up being on other people's schedules. So we send these people down to Costa Rica, and they are all geared up to get something done. And they've got on their minds, we're going to accomplish these things, we're going to give our whole selves, and every minute we can put into it, we're going to put into it. And then they get to lunchtime, and the host, the guides, they're there, and... 20 minutes after we've scarfed down our food and are ready to get back to work, the hosts are just sitting there. We can't do a whole lot without them, so we have to just sit there, and we sit there, and we end up talking. And all of a sudden, we've flown to Costa Rica, and we've found out things about people we've been in worship with and Sunday school with and and been a part of a ministry with for years that we never knew about. We've gone to a whole other country to learn something about our brothers and sisters we never took the time to learn here. Jesus Jesus made time for for conversation. Sometimes we don't. I was with a friend this week. We went to lunch together. We had some church business to discuss and we, we got that out of the way. Still had food on our plate so we stayed a few more minutes. Since we were there together, we might as well talk, and so we did, and we ended up talking about parenting, leading a business or a church, got around to theology. I've seen this friend 
fairly good amount these past two years, and never had we sat down and talked about those topics. There's something about meals that opens us up to conversations that we just don't make time for or otherwise. Jesus, he made time for conversation, and it was often over meals, and not always with reputable people like I was having lunch with. One of the accusations leveled against Jesus was he ate with sinners. And the problem with that is if he eats with sinners, he surely must approve of sinners. And so there was always this concern about these people Jesus was with and what that says about who Jesus is. But there he was, eating with sinners. And it makes me wonder, did he ever say to himself after a meal, I just ate with sinners. My guess is he got up from the meal and he thought, I just ate with Stephen and Philip and Tabitha. And Stephen has this going on in his life and and Philip's struggling with that and Tabitha's challenged by this thing. And and now that I know more about them, I I care more about them and I, I want that part of their life to be better and I pray it will happen. I just ate with the children of God. And my guess is that Philip and Stephen and Tabitha got up from the table and they didn't, they didn't just say, why do you eat with us? I ate with Jesus. And he seemed to care about what was going on in my life. And, and he seemed to want better for me. And now I want better for me. And I never got the sense that he thought he was eating with a sinner. Meals connect us in ways that nothing else really can. They slow us down. They put us around the table. They open us up to one another. They, they force us to listen to each other and look at each other and getting to know each other. I'm guessing that Jesus didn't have a whole lot of meals on the run. Probably didn't eat a whole lot of fast food or, or eat at his desk while he was working. I'm quite certain he never ate in front of a television. Quite certain of that. The early church knew this about him. They they took it as a sign as how they were supposed to be. They shared meals, and in doing so, they shared life. And I imagine that they sat around the table and, and they told tales of the resurrection. And by that I mean I think they told the stories of what happened after Jesus was raised from the dead. But I also think they told stories about how Jesus being raised from the dead continued to affect their lives, how the kingdom of heaven was continually coming in among their lives. Here's a tale of the resurrection. Hey, Peter, tell us about that time that you went fishing after Jesus was raised. Nah, y'all don't want to hear that again. Oh, okay. We're back in Tiberias, you know. Galilee, James, John, Thomas, Nathaniel, there were a couple others. I decided to go fishing. It had been a while. And they decided to go too. We fished all night. Didn't catch anything. It was hot, so I took everything off that I could take off. I mean, everything. It's close to daybreak when a man called from the shore. Called anything? No, he said, and he told us 
We'll throw your nets on the other side. And we did, and we caught so much we could hardly get it in. We caught 153 fish. And they drug them in, but, but I didn't wait. I, I heard John say, that's the Lord. And so I put on some clothes and I jumped in the water and I swam in to see him. And there he was. Jesus. Right by a campfire. Jesus, raised from the dead, right by a campfire. Making breakfast for us. So that we could share some time over a meal. Peter, tell him that part about what Jesus said after breakfast. He asked if I love him. I said, Lord, you know I do. He said, feed my lambs. And then he asked me a second time, Peter, do you love me? I said, Lord, you know I do. And he said, tend my sheep. It hurt the third time, he asked. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. It was like his life and his death and his resurrection were supposed to make an impact on my life now, not just after I died. And they did, and they do. Where I denied him before, I proclaimed him after. Where I was afraid before, I was bold after. Where I was more concerned with being fed before, I was more consumed with feeding after. Eternal life had begun. It all started with breakfast down by the sea. Here's another tale of the resurrection. The church followers in Colossae were sharing a meal together when a leader walked in with a letter. Hey, it's a letter from Paul and Timothy. Y'all listen up. They send their grace and their peace. They commend us for our faith, love, and hope. They, they want us to lead lives pleasing to the Lord. Oh, here's the part I want to read. They have some fashion advice for us. They wrote, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. But won't that make us look weak? Yeah, won't they take advantage of us? No one will respect a compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, loving person. They kill people like that. Don't you remember Jesus? Oh, yes. I do. I remember him well. I remember him showing compassion and being kind. And teaching humility. And saying that the meek are blessed. I remember he was really patient with his disciples. And even those who were just curious about him. And, and even the so-called sinners. I remember he loved unto death. Oh, and I remember one more thing too. He was raised from the dead. And I just think 
he, he's won. His ways win. And even if the short term we might feel like we're losing, his ways will win. And so because of the resurrection, I'm going to try. Because the kingdom of heaven is not just about when we die, but it's supposed to affect how we live now. I'm going to try. Because eternal life is not just about then, but changes now. I'm going to try and live the way I think that it will be then, now. For the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the risen Christ, I'm going to Dress the way Paul said to dress. And to tend and to feed the way Peter did. And to eat like those early followers, laughing with each other. Inviting in the sinners, listening to each other, loving each other. Sharing the newest tales of the resurrection with each other. Won't you join me in making and sharing the newest tales? Tales of the resurrection with each other.